The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We are in the the book of Mark, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to uh, Mark chapter 14. Uh, It's also going to be on the screen for us. Um, Basically, we have been walking through this account of Jesus' life written by a man named Mark. And Mark is... Uh, mostly relying actually on uh, the Apostle Peter's eyewitness testimony. Um, And Mark is writing this particular account for a particular group of people with a particular purpose. And he really really wants people to see things about the nature of Jesus. He wants uh, people who um, are questioning and asking questions around who is this Jesus and can we trust the story. Uh, So he writes things in in a certain way and um, this particular next part of the passage, we're going to see that, again, he has this real clear intent as to what he is trying to show people who would read uh, this account. And he wants those who are Christian or not Christian, those who are Jewish or non-Jewish, to kind of understand him and eventually would come and follow Jesus. And so this particular episode starts to move quite quickly again. So you would have noticed uh, Mark is moving very, very fast. And last week, things kind of slowed down. Things start to speed up again as uh, a bunch of people want to basically get Jesus crucified and put to a cross. And so uh, in this, what I just want to throw up on the screen, if we can go to this, this slide here, this is just, if you want to take a photo of this, do real quickly. I'm not going to really walk through it. But essentially, Jesus, if you follow the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, Jesus is kind of put on a series of trials, two main trials. One is Jewish, one is Roman, and each of them basically have three stages to the trial. So if you were to put all of the accounts together, this is kind of the flow that you'll see with Jesus. Um, Each writer kind of focuses on different bits. So you've kind of got to put all the story together to see this. So you're not going to see this specifically with Mark, you're going to kind of see just he goes to the council and then eventually he goes to Pilate as a Roman. But that's just for your viewing pleasure there that you can take a photo of and sort of if you want to follow that, put that uh, together, you can. But one of Mark's main focuses in this section is he, he really wants his audience to, to ask a couple of questions. Question one is, who is guilty of Jesus' death? Who is at fault? Who is responsible for Jesus' death? And how many people here saw The Passion by uh, Mel Gibson? Okay, when The Passion movie came out, uh, Mel Gibson had made some statements that were anti- anti-Semitic against the Jews. And that, again, raised a whole lot of questions as, well, are the Jews responsible for Jesus' death? Are the religious leaders only of the Jewish council? Or was it the Romans, like Pilate? Uh, Is there, like, who's responsible? Is it the crowd? Is it Jesus' disciples? Is it Judas? And so this this question has actually been an ongoing question for about 2,000 years. It's actually, whose fault is it that Jesus went to a cross? And so Mark wants his audience to actually try and answer that question by the way he writes. The question is, who is guilty and who is innocent? And then his final question is, what hope is there for those who are guilty? What hope is there for? So we're going to run through this quite quickly this morning, all of these different stages of this story. So number one, we're going to read through it. Uh, highlight a few things. I'm not going to spend heaps of time on each of these. We're going to go pretty quickly, and then we're going to come back and ask the question, who's guilty? Okay? And you all better have the answer. So, the first thing we see is that Judas 
betrays Jesus. So if you remember last week, if you were here last week, um, Jesus has had a Passover meal with his disciples. He was kind of organizing that stealthily and they were hiding. And so there's only 12 who got to go to this upper room. Everybody else, nobody really knows where they are. Then they go to Gethsemane to pray and he takes Peter, James and John with him. And so there's this sense in which at the end of that episode, it finishes with this climactic sort of ending and you needed to watch the next episode. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, bang. And it was like literally Judas just walks in the scene. You can see all the armored guards around him, then bang, to be continued. And so that's kind of where we're picking up. And so it says this in verse 43, it says, and immediately while he was still speaking. So again, now we're moving fast. We're picking up again. Judas came, one of the 12 with him. Uh, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So this is the religious elite have kind of had this moment. Judas has gone to them. He said, hey, I know where Jesus is going to be. I'll betray him. Give me some money. They give him some money. And then it says, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead them under, uh, away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Uh, have you ever heard of the term the kiss of death? This is the first Sort of, this is where that term came from. This is historically, this is where the first ever mention of the kiss of death comes in the first century. And it's Judas who comes and kisses Jesus to highlight this is the one that you want to do. Now, he does that because we're, we're at like midnight, it's dark, nobody can see it. It's, it's not, Jesus isn't out in the open. Remember, there are hundreds of thousands of people right now in this city, and it's dark. And so he goes and kisses him so they know. And it says, and they laid hands on and seized him. But once those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day by day, I was with you in the temple teaching. You did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. What Mark wants you to see is we've kind of slowed down and all of a sudden, the scene is picking up. These, these people are coming in. Judas and these people are coming in. And it's fast. They want to seize him. Multiple times it says, seize him, seize him, seize him. Go after him. Get him, get him. Notice that they are in a hurry. There is this pace in this story that is changing. But what you'll also notice throughout the story is it's not Jesus' pace that changes. All the way in Mark, it's fast, fast, fast. Last week, everything slowed down, and now it's the religious elite are going to speed up, and Jesus, the whole way through, stays calm. Jesus isn't in a hurry. Notice he goes, I guess if the scriptures are going to be fulfilled, whatever. That's kind of what he's like, all right, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, I guess. Anyone here know these phlegmatic types who we just get frustrated with? I guess the dishes will get done when they get done. Guess the bin's going to go out when the bin goes out. Like, no, son, the bin's going out now. So Judas betrays him. But then notice how he finishes it. It says, and they all left him and fled. So the first thing we see is Judas betrays him. The next thing, and this is my favorite in the whole point of the sermon, the streaker abandons him. This is the greatest thing ever. When you read the Bible, you just got to let the Bible say what it says. This is the first ever streaker in the Bible. So all of you conservatives in the room, I'm sorry. It's biblical. I can't help it. It's there. And I had to go there. It says this. It says, a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he fled and left linen cloths and ran away naked. The streaker runs away. We don't know who this streaker is. 
It's just funny. That's, that's I just like, I have no idea. Someone's like, dude, the story's getting boring. You need to put a little joke in there. Someone's like, yeah, just tell the streaker story. Um, what some commentators and scholars think is that it's possibly Mark, the one who's actually writing the story. Because when Jesus went to the garden, he only took three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And then everybody else didn't know where they were because they were in this upper room and they'd stealthily done it. And so now people have left, some of the disciples have left, started to tell people he's going to go and pray. He was having his bath. I don't know what he was doing. Hopped out of bed, didn't get fully changed. And now all of a sudden he's running away basically in his underwear. Uh, We don't know whether it's Mark. We don't know who it is. The point that the author wants you to see is it doesn't matter who it is. The point is it's another person who when, when they come to get him... He doesn't stand with Jesus, but runs away from Jesus. And so he abandons him. Then we get to the council. 53. The council now condemn him. It says, And they led Jesus to the high priest, and to the, uh, all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. So this is the idea of the, the council of the Jewish people. And he was sitting with the guards and warning himself as the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus. Listen to these words. They, they, they want to put him to death, right? So they're seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found what? None. For many bore false witnesses, uh, false witness against him, but their testimony did what? It did not agree. And they stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I'll build it. Not with, made with hands. And then again, 59, yet not even about this testimony uh, did agree. So it's the idea of like they're, they're bringing, he's on trial, they're bringing testimony, they're bringing accounts, and none of them are adding up. All you educators, and you see the fight that happens on the Oval, and you bring the two kids, and you get their stories, and their stories don't add up. So these people are coming in, and their story, their testimony, their account doesn't add up up. Again, highlighting who is innocent. Jesus. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus his question. Have you no answer to make? What is, what is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the, the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with clouds and heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. So Judas betrays him. The streaker abandons him. The council condemn him. And now Peter will deny him. Now, if you remember from last week, Jesus warned Peter that this is going to happen. You're going to deny him. Peter was like, no way. All these other people might be faithless, but I'm faithful. And Jesus was like, listen, you're going to deny me. And then they all said, none of us will. And then we get to the story. And for those of you who are Christians, maybe been around for a while, you know the story. Peter goes on and denies him three times. Uh, The interesting part that Mark highlights, I think, is fascinating, is that it's actually a young girl that intimidates him. Such is his fear that as he's around this fire, 
This, this young girl is like, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And he denies it emphatically. Three times in verse 68 it says, but he denied it. In verse 70 it says, but again he denied it. And then in verse 71 it says, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear. In other words, he's like, I swear on my mother's life. I don't know this Jesus And then verse 72 says, And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Other accounts use use a different word, which actually literally means, in his gut, he was dry reaching. Such was his guilt that he's like, He said I would do it. I thought I was strong, and I've denied him. And then lastly, we get to uh, Pilate, who sentenced him. So this is from chapter 15. It says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, You have said so. So the chief priests accused him of many things. Now this is important because Jews are under Roman rule. So they, they have their own laws in which they operate, operate under, which are religious, but they are not allowed under Roman rule to crucify. That is a Roman thing. So if a Jew was to crucify another Jew, that Jew would then go and be crucified because you're not allowed to do it. This is a Roman instruction. So they have to come up with some type of thing to be able to take to Pilate because they want to kill him and they can't. So they have to come up with this this sort of scheme of he's blaspheming. He's coming against the emperor. And so this is all the schemes that they're coming up with. And then Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer. Can you imagine being Pilate? How many people in his rule, his time of rule, his, he had come that are criminals that he has to sentence. How many of them were like, it wasn't me. I never did it. How, how many people would have done that, right? There would have been so many people, nah, it was Bob. I, I don't know who Bob is, but it was de- I definitely saw it was Bob who robbed the bank. It wasn't me. We got you on camera. Couldn't have got me on camera. It wasn't me. I had my face mask on. It was COVID. You know what I mean? How can you tell? He has had this his whole career. He's had everybody come and tell him why they should not be put to jail or to be put to justice. And here is the first time in his life there is a man who he is picking up is innocent, yet he won't speak up and defend himself. And so it says, Pilate was amazed. Pilate sees this as really, really unusual. And then it says, now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner whom, whom they asked. So they would come at this time of year and he would make some type of release of some prisoner. And so among the rebels in prison who committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy Right? He perceives that Jesus is innocent. He is not guilty of these crimes. He cannot find fault in the man. But he sees that it's because they're envious that the chief priests have delivered him up. But the chief, uh, the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried aloud, Crucify him. Put him on a cross. Execute him. 
Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he does, done? Can you see? Here's a Roman man who doesn't, he doesn't care. This is, this is Jewish problems. There's no issue for him, but he can pick up something is not right in this trial. Something is wrong. This man seems to have done nothing wrong. All of your testimonies, they're not even adding up. You're telling this part of the story, this part of the story. I'm picking up it's not right. I'm picking up that you're here because you're envious and angry because he's actually got a bit of a movement going on that's threatening your thing. What do you want me to do with Jesus? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus. If you read history, the Romans would scourge people often. And many didn't actually make the, the cross because they would die just from the scourging. It is a cat of nine tails. They beat them. Many of you have seen the Passion movie. It's, it's extremely violent how they treated people when they scourged him. So they beat him basically half to death. And Jesus was to be delivered to be crucified. And then it says that the soldiers then mock him. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. They are mocking him. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. So this is a lot of text, but really with just two points. Who's guilty in the story of Jesus? Hands up, who thinks the Jews are guilty? There's a few hands. Yeah, a few, few got courage. Yeah, I think so. This is a trick question. Uh, what about the Romans? Are the Romans guilty? Yeah, my wife's like, definitely the Romans. They weren't vegan. has to be them. All right. Uh, what about Judas? Is Judas guilty? Yep, a few of you hate, hate him. Hey, what about Peter? Got a few. Uh, Donna, you're... You're going for everyone, Don. Don is just like, isn't the point to see that they are all guilty? Correct? There's no one in the story that is innocent but who? Jesus. This is what Mark wants to see. This is why he goes from one thing to the next thing really, really quickly. He actually doesn't want us to get bogged down in all the details. He wants to go Judas, guilty. Disciples, guilty. Jews, guilty. Uh, the council, guilty. Rome, guilty. Barabbas, guilty. They come with all of these army with their battalion, right? They come with their swords and their batons. And Jesus is like, this is a little bit of overkill, don't you think? I've been walking around pretty quiet for the last three years. I've never carried a sword. I don't have a weapon with me. I've literally just been walking around with, like, with a Bible, just preaching to people. Why are you here? Because they're treating him like he's an insurrectionist. They're treating him like someone who is going to violently attack. And he's like, come on. You had every single day to come and get me any time you wanted in the light, but instead you come at night with your armed forces. The only one who is innocent in the story is Jesus. Why is that important? What is the Christian view of why Jesus went to the cross? The Christian view says this, that it's not the Jews, it's not the Romans, it's not Judas, it's not Pilate, it's not Barabbas, it's 
old people. The Bible tells us this really, really clearly. That all have sinned and fallen short. This is what uh, Romans 3 says. It says, for there is no distinction. This is Romans 3, 22 and 23. For there is no distinction, verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. From the very, very beginning of the story in the Bible, it's the idea that sin is why Jesus had to come. Sin entered the world. Sin has infected. So in many ways, what he wants the audience who's reading this to go is like, what part have I played in the death of Jesus? Because nobody seems to be innocent here. And so his, his Roman church, his Roman audience would read that and go, well, we weren't there. We weren't there at the day. We weren't there in the moment. So very, they're very much like you and I, because this is written 50 AD. This is 20 years after Jesus' death. They're like, well, what part did we play? And the Bible says, everybody played a part in Jesus' death. Because Jesus died for sin. Every time you see in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus dying over and over and over again. It says Jesus died for it doesn't say because of Judas. It doesn't say because of Pilate. He says for sinners. This is the bad news of the Christian faith. This is the part that we don't like because this doesn't feel good. Welcome to church. Goodbye. Enjoy that thought. Does Paul write in Romans 6, 33 and 6, does he write those things so that people would feel bad? Does he write these, these things to say that all have fallen short of the glory of God? That the wages of sin for all people is death and separation from God? Is he doing that to make us feel bad? Is Mark writing this in order that we'd feel bad? No. Mark is writing this so that we would get the hope for those who are guilty. Because the story doesn't end. So even if you look at those two scriptures, this will come up on the screen. They don't end there. Romans 3.22 says, For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, here is the good news, are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a sacrifice, someone who would stand in the gap for us by His blood to be received by faith. Even Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. See, Mark is writing this, and it's probably why I probably land on maybe he was the man who ran. Mark is writing this, though, so those who would in our darkest hours reject God, deny God, run from God, say, I don't want to walk with God, walk away from God, we would have hope to know that that Jesus who we rejected did something for you and me. So while it is true in the Christian worldview and the Christian faith that all have sinned and to some degree we all are responsible for Jesus having to go to the cross. Jesus died for you and me to take that sin and to take that guilt and to bring you back to the Father. Now we live in a culture which does not know what to do with guilt. It blame shifts it denies, it treats guilt and shame with things like alcohol and binge watching of TV and doing all sorts of things to sort of numb us from the feeling of guilt. And what Jesus says, listen, I have done something for your guilt. 
and your shame so that you don't have to carry that. Come to me. Receive what I am doing. In this story, you and I are supposed to resonate with Barabbas, who is set free. He comes out into the people. It says he was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. He was this criminal. And he is the one who gets set free. They don't realize. Here is the irony in this story. These very people don't realize that what they are putting on display is the very thing Jesus is doing for them in the cross within 24 hours. Is He is going to go to a cross, absorb sin, absorb the punishment, die for us, so that those who would be like Barabbas... Walk free. This is the good news of the Christian faith. And good news is only as good as the bad news is bad. So a lot of Christians and a lot of churches want to avoid the ugliness and don't want to talk about sin, but we have to. Not because it makes us feel good. It's not very therapeutic. Oh, I'm going to come back to church next week. It's really joyful there. It's like, no, no, we explain the bad news. This is the truth. This is the reality. But here is the good news. When you realize that, Jesus becomes awesome to you. Without this, we have no need of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who has done anything for our sin. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, maybe you, you kind of you, you have this idea of sin being like just the insurrection and just the murder, and maybe not the small things. And the Bible says, listen, we have all sinned. And Jesus has died for all sin. Mine, yours. And yes, I may sin way more than you. But he still died for your sin. Not just mine. Let's pray. God, as we read this part of the story, it's dark. It's weighty. It's... Oh, it's kind of ugly. It doesn't feel good. God, to have to think through and be like the original readers of this, to think through and go, what, what is my role? And to come away with the thought that I'm, I'm also guilty. That I also have sinned. It's not a great feeling, God. It's not something we like to admit and deal with we'd rather avoid that and go on living living our lives but God you never left us there the point of your Bible being written and the story being written is to show us that there is hope from that that whilst that is true and whilst that is a reality there is a reality that you went to a cross, and we're going to see this next week when you are put on that cross, that you are dying for us. That you are taking the sin, our past, our present, and our future sins that we will commit, and you are taking them for us and taking the penalty of death for us. So God, we are now free to readily admit and say, yes, I too am guilty. That there is only one innocent person and his name is Jesus. There is only one person who never sinned ever and that is Jesus. Yet as the book of Corinthians says that that Jesus, that perfect man became sin who knew no sin so that you and I 
could become the righteousness of God. And God, the reason that we worship you isn't because you make our lives better, that you give us cars and houses and make our lives prosperous. The reason that we love and worship you is because you went to a cross and allowed people like us and Barabbas to go free. And God, I pray today that as we leave here, that we'd leave our sin at the altar. We'd leave our shame and our guilt at the altar. We don't need to carry the shame that comes with our sexual history. We don't need to carry the shame of our past. You died for it, you took it, and now we are free from that and we can walk away free vessels. God, for those of us who struggle with ongoing sin even, Lord, we, we feel guilty and guilty and guilty all the time. Help us to receive forgiveness time and time and time again because that is unending for us. And God, I pray for our church that we would be a church that welcomes anybody. that a Barabbas could walk into our church because we do not see ourselves that different. That we too are guilty and need a saviour. And God, I thank you that as we take communion today, we are covered by the blood. That you pass over us and you spare us and you welcome us in to be your kids and your family. And I thank you for that in your name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.